Recovering our work ethic, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and reading from verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And the message will spread like cancer. Hamanes and Philetes are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and the overthrow of the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is the word of God. Key verse here being diligent to present ourselves a proof to God, a work who does not need to be ashamed. If anyone wants to be used of God, he needs to be, verse 21, cleansed, sanctified, useful, prepared for every good work. So, there's a lot of warnings and a lot of useful key biblical principles here. Now, before getting into expounding that, I came across recently a whole lot of lists of things you should never say at work. And uh, I thought a lot of them were very accurate and wise because eh, we all slip into some of these traps and we say some of these words, but these are some things that you should never say. Words are like weapons and words can actually backfire on us. We can actually trap ourselves with the words that we say. Saying the wrong thing can make you look weak and indecisive and insensitive or incompetent in front of everyone, and it can undermine popularity, career prospects, if we regularly type of use or think in these kind of ways. So one of the worst of the phrases that you hear often is, this won't work, or that won't work. Now, shutting down ideas without even trying them is definitely not the way to inspire or encourage. It's not the way to be constructive. That will never work. It's very unconstructive. It's very demotivating. If an idea didn't work in the past, it doesn't mean it can't work in the future. Maybe it was done wrong. It's not necessarily the idea that's wrong. Trying it again under different circumstances may succeed. Or it may reveal how the problem has changed over time. Or it may reveal what doesn't work, which is also helpful to know what won't work, but you won't know if it won't work unless you try, and so putting, that won't work. That's a real demotivating, putting down, not very really inspiring. Number two, how many times have you heard this? You're overthinking this. Now, to rebuke people for caring, for trying, for in, trying to anticipate needs, for trying to solve problems, for trying to succeed, that's not constructive either, to saying you're overthinking that. What, what kind of response is that? Response to what the person said, to accuse somebody of overthinking, tends to come from people who don't like thinking. There's nothing wrong with anticipating problem, potential problems and uh, suggesting different solutions, and so on. So you're overthinking this, hmm. Bill Batman said he'd never employ anyone in his mission who didn't play chess, because he says to be a good person working behind the Iron Curtain, working with the Persky Church, Bible smuggling, you need to think three steps down the road and from the other person's perspective on the chessboard. You can't just think, ah, I can do this. Okay, that's your move. But what potential responses could there be to that move? 
and what potential response could you have to their counter moves and so on. You ought to think your way through it. So this, your overthinking this is a bit of a demotivational comment. Then you get these people who say, this has to work. Well, not necessarily. Uh, failure is also part of work and life. And we're all going to fail at one point or another. In fact, we tend to fail dozens, if not scores of times. Yes. And if you're not failing, if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not even trying. And it was said by General Ben Parton, you'd never employ anyone on a staff who had made some serious mistakes. He'd ask, what's the worst mistakes you've made? What's the worst decisions you've made? Most people don't want to go there. But it's very helpful for a leader because General Parton said, if someone has never made any serious mistakes, they've either never tried or they're lying and they passing the buck and blaming other people for their failures. But he said, I can't afford to have anyone on my staff who hasn't made some serious mistakes. Because how else do we learn? It shows they've tried. And if you can't identify mistakes you've made, General Parton said, I wouldn't trust you. So this has to work, uh, is nonsense. Sometimes learning from failure leads to victory. And you can be somebody who's failed, but that doesn't necessarily have to make you a failure. Having failed, which we all do frequently in many different things, doesn't mean we have to accept being a failure. A failure is someone who just gives up. But someone who's failed many times and gets up again and gets back into the fight, well, that's a winner. Because nobody f succeeds first time at anything worthwhile. There's a lot. What was Thomas Edison tried hundreds of different ways to invent the incandescent light bulb? And I think when he made the 800th failure, he said, he hasn't failed 800 times, he's just learned 800 ways not to make an effective incandescent light bulb. Ultimately, he did succeed. Okay, here's one that I certainly recognize. I haven't had the time. There's a good chance that your boss will see right through this phrase, they say. Because more often than not, this is simply not true. It's normally A, Technically, you haven't found the time. You had the time, but you chose to do other things in a time. You didn't feel like spending your time doing that. Or B, you didn't manage your work time very well, or you forgot. So if you genuinely didn't have the time, it would be better to explain when the work would be complete. I haven't been able to complete it yet, but I've made these and these steps towards it, and it will be ready by such and such. That's more constructive, but I haven't had the time is comments of a loser making excuses and it certainly destroys people's confidence in one when you come up with I haven't had the time I've come across parents who said we always did our best which is not possible, I mean what parent can say we always did our best in terms of raising the children not possible, it's just there is no human being on the planet who can say I've always done my best to say I've tried to do my best. That could be true, but even then, trying to do your best, it's impossible to say, I've always tried to do my best. It's not true either. It's just not human nature. So it's just, okay, here's another one. I can't do it. Can't do it? You were actually hired or employed to get things done. So if you can't do it, chances are they're going to find someone who can. Uh, instead of giving up, how about being proactive about what you need to do to accomplish the task? Do I need more training? Do I need more support? Do I need more supplies? Uh, do I need to read up on this? Do I need to ask someone who knows how to do it, who's done it before? At the very least, we should get an A for effort, even if we haven't succeeded, but I can't do it. There might be some things where it's beyond our capability. I mean, if somebody asks you to do brain surgery on someone, you know, it's reasonable to say, I don't have the training and skills or qualifications to be a brain surgeon. I mean, that would be reasonable. But when you're asking somebody to do something that's well within their capabilities and they say, I can't do it, that's a cop-out. Okay, here's another one I'm surprised to see in the list of what you shouldn't say. I'm sorry. And apologies are fine for your private life, but it's got no place in the work environment. I wouldn't have put it like that, but worth saying, instead of sorry, try... I understand this was wrong and it won't happen again. So, now that's a lot better than just, just saying I'm sorry on its own isn't enough. It's more important to acknowledge what was done wrong and understand what was done wrong and why it went wrong and 
what one can do differently in the future, that's not going to be a problem. I said, you know, apologies are fine for your personal life, it doesn't have a place in your professional life. I don't think I fully agree, but he's got a point. This is one that is cringeworthy. That's not my job, or that's not my responsibility. That makes any manager cringe. And it's possible that somebody might be really unfair in expecting you to do some things, especially if it's the person who's responsible to do it, asking you to do it, but maybe they've got a reason too, because of time constraints and needing help, delegation and so on. But that's not my job, doesn't really have a place in any business, according to secular people, but in a ministry, even less so. So it's actually a challenge to stretch us, to stretch our abilities, to also show commitment, to help out others, to show you're a team player. But this, that's not my job is, I think, as they say here, cringeworthy. This is one that you hear over and over. It's not my fault. Well, the blame game isn't actually the game we're trying to play. We're trying to come up with solutions. So sometimes one can mention something that's wrong or something that needs to get done and a person comes out with not my fault. Well, maybe it wasn't about fault. Maybe it's about solving the problem, removing the threat, dealing with the issue. And it's not necessarily a blame issue. It's a matter of what's going to be done about it. So a person comes out with it's not my fault, like it's not my job, is a negative. It's not constructive. And it also sounds like blame shifting. It's not my fault. It's just it's somebody else's fault. And maybe the person's about to tell you whose fault it is. But that's not being a team player or being helpful either. There's a whole range of excuses, but I sent it in an email a week ago. Falls under excuses, excuses. Just because you sent an email doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to ensure that the person got it or knows about it or has the information they needed in time, whatever it was. And so letting someone or something fail because you've gotten out. Well, I did mention it in an email a week ago. Um, isn't necessarily adequate, especially if it's something important. Certainly, it's not something great people do. This is probably one of the most mindless comments you hear how many times. It is what it is. What on earth does it is what it is mean? That's such a sign of laziness. It doesn't do anything to help resolve the issue, or to even describe the problem, or to resolve the situation. Saying it is what it is, is so mindless. In fact, I can think of someone who said that recently, when asked about the Azov Battalion and their atrocities and all that sort of thing, Vladimir Zelensky responded, it is what it is. Which is like, well, what's that meant to me? And what kind of accountability is that? A president saying one of his units commits hordes of atrocities and he says it is what it is? What does that mean? In what way does it resolve anything? What a worthless comment. Um, I don't know where it comes from. I've only started hearing this phrase recently. It wasn't around when I grew up. It is what it is. Okay, here's another one. I'll try. Uh, do or do not do, there is no try, is another comment that comes back. I'll try means that you're giving a strong possibility that you won't even try. <laughs> you certainly won't achieve it or solve it, but I'll try. They say, how about trying I will? I will sounds a whole lot better than I try. And confidence in you will instantly return with um, I'll get it done and we'll resolve it. If you seriously can't get the job done in the required time, maybe you could present a more realistic option like can't do it by two, is it possible it's okay if we get done by five? Or uh, would tomorrow morning be alright? And so on. But I'll try is a bit of a cop-out. I'm too busy is doubly dangerous. On the one hand it admits you can't effectively prioritise your time. On the other hand, it may like make the listener feel unappreciated, unimportant. Now, I'm too busy for whatever, whatever the request is. The person is going to trouble of asking for help. A good pastor doesn't say, I'm too busy, when there's an important crisis, counseling case, or whatever. Uh, I'm too busy shouldn't be a response to almost anything important. I feel... Um, I feel is something I never heard until I was 17 years old. I'd been asked what I thought about something, I never was asked how I felt about anything until I 
reached matric and Cape Town and I was asked what teacher I felt about something like, what's that got to do with anything? Um, and it is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what we feel. It's what do we think or what do we believe or what's our convictions or what does the Bible say? Uh, these are far more important but I feel and it's become very, very, very common now. It's just the media is saturated with, with I feel and we shouldn't be letting our feelings lead us. We should be letting facts and scripture guide us our feelings are fairly irrelevant and I think I don't know that he's known by as popular as people now but Don Francisco was super popular when I got converted and Don Francisco had this wonderful song love is not a feeling it's an act of your will what a great song I don't know how many can remember but love is not a feeling it's an act of your will and um, he sings about how uh, the Lord's unlikely to have felt like going to the cross that day yeah. Love is not a feeling. Love is doing what you know is right, no matter what you feel. And uh, you know, it's not so feelings do us part. It's so death does part. That's the thing. So I feel doesn't inspire any confidence or conviction. It's a silence filler that communicates doubt about your work and about yourself. So I feel is like nobody's going to advance their career by saying I feel. Here's a number, another one. I might be able to. I might be able to. Like, try. Might is another word that sets you up to fail. When people use words like this, it's because they're expecting not to be able to do whatever's being asked of them, or it's being used grudgingly. I might be able to suggest I don't want to. I'm probably not going to. Um, so, you know, I might be able to is generally setting up to fail, so don't expect anything. And it's basically trying to placate a person but it's hedging, it's not standing your ground saying what you mean, meaning what you say and finally of the list of 15 is that's impossible now thinking something's impossible might seem to make it so because if you think you can or you can't, you're right if you think you can, you can if you think you can't, you can't to a large extent it's a mindset but how many breakthroughs and inventions and million and billion dollar ideas might never have happened if the person had that you that's impossible I can assure you Elon Musk has had a lot of people saying that's impossible uh, but you know successful people push through I can think even in my life the amount of super important blessed events were done when people said that's impossible that can't be done and uh, you know everything from first missions to Mozambique Angola, Sudan, Nub Mountains uh, just about everything we did was that's impossible, it can't be done, you're not the right person to do it, this isn't the right time, it's too dangerous it's too difficult, what if, and so on if we respond to that, we'll play it safe but that's not the way to succeed and so that's impossible is not a constructive, inspiring encouraging attitude that helps to build teamwork and success I mean, how many people have been told it's impossible on so many levels whether you think about sports, onwards there are people who've had everything against them who've succeeded against how many people who said that's impossible. So some people have the gift of discouragement and a ministry of criticism. You know, that's for them, not for us. And so, if somebody's asked you to do something, it's because they believe it's possible. And they believe in you. Like our Lord gives us the Great Commission. If He gave us the Great Commission, it must be possible to fulfill the Great Commission. It's no good saying, well, that's impossible. You can't make disciples of all nations, teach obedience to all people. Teach everything, everything the Lord has commanded, preach the gospel to every creature. That's not possible. Uh, so, it can't be done. It's not possible. Well, some people went out believing that the promises of God were sufficient for his commands, and look what the William Careys and David Livingstons and Hudson Taylors succeeded and achieved, in spite of the people saying it's impossible. So, uh, those are just a few non starter demotivating loser talk that doesn't particularly help them. From the very dawn of history, God has called men and women to work. God ordained work before the fall. Work is not a part of the curse. Adam was commanded to tend the garden before he fell into sin. Labor is a God-given responsibility. Work is not a curse to be avoided. Labor is not an undesirable activity to only be pursued when necessary. 
in the Bible we're commanded to be diligent to present ourselves as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Before the coming of Christ, heathen nations despised work. Physical work was consigned to slaves. Nobody who was a free man wanted to do physical manual labor. That was the mentality of the Roman Empire, where half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves, and three quarters of the population of Athens were slaves. And when Luke visited Athens, he said all Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent all their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear of some new thing. So Acts 17 speaks of the people sitting around doing nothing because they had the slaves to do the work. But Jesus revolutionized labor. He took up the axe, he took up the saw, he took up the hammer and the plane. And as a carpenter, our Lord endued labor with a new dignity. He could have been born into a palace. He chose to be born into a carpenter's family. Christianity undercuts slavery by giving dignity to work. And by reforming work, Christianity transformed the entire social order. In time, this gave birth to the free enterprise system, which has brought unparalleled prosperity and productivity and progress to billions of people. Because the hand of the diligent makes one rich. Proverbs 10 verse 4. God is a worker. Right in the beginning of the Bible we read that God created the world. He works to sustain his world. He is constantly at work in the world fulfilling his purposes in history and the life of his people. Our Lord Jesus declared in John 5 verse 17, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So work is good. In fact, work is described in the Bible as good. God describes his creation as good. Work has intrinsic value. Work is not a disgrace. Laziness is a disgrace. Proverbs 18 verse 9, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Proverbs 18 9. So God created man in his image, as a worker. Before the fall, God assigned to man the task of caring for his earthly creation, caring for the garden he planted, for the creatures he created. Work is a gift to us. And so by assigning responsibilities to Adam and Eve, God was making them significant and making them valuable. By working diligently, they reflect God's image. This was the first partnership. God planted the garden, Adam and Eve cultivated the garden. So Adam and Eve were created as co-workers with God. All legitimate work is an extension of God's work. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Which is why we've got solidio gloria on our one-round coins. That's why we've got solidio gloria on the Lutheros window in the stairwell. But most people have lost their Christian work ethic. Most people labor under the illusion that God is not concerned with anything physical, but only our purely spiritual pursuits. This is a misunderstanding. It's based on four false assumptions. Number one, that God's only interested in men's souls, rather than their bodies. Secondly, that things of eternity are such overriding importance that they exclude all concern with the things of time. Thirdly, that life is divided into the secular and the sacred. And at becoming a minister of angels to missionaries is the only way to serve God. That's the way it was in the Catholic Middle Ages. If you're serious about God, you didn't get married, you didn't uh, go into commercial employment. No, you became a monk or a nun. You retreat to nunnery or convent or monastery. And, but that's not, that's not the biblical pattern. The Bible shows God is interested in whole people, body, mind, spirit, not disembodied souls. So many of Amy Carmichael's fellow missionaries in India considered her efforts to build an orphanage and a school as a worldly activity that distracted her from saving souls. To this, Amy Carmichael responded, souls are more or less firmly attached to bodies. So we've got to understand that what goes on in time and eternity is real and it's important to God, our sovereign Lord, and being co-laborers with God and caring for his creatures and making his physical, temporal world run smoothly is important. Just as co-laboring with him in evangelism is. Eternity is our ultimate destiny and we will have to give an account of our lives before Almighty God. So in the life of eternity we need to diligently work on earth. If God has designed you to be an architect or carpenter or builder then build buildings to the glory of God. The quality of our daily work should witness to our faith in Christ. And hence Martin Luther could say, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. Any questions or comments? We're covering our work ethic and the 15 things one should never say.
specifically in the workplace, but I'd say it's good not to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Comments, observations? Well, this is true in the, in the current world. Um, it's not my fault. You know, the train crashed. It wasn't my fault. It crashed or something like that. There's a novel, um, Atlas Shrug, about how the world's coming apart. And you say, that's not my job. It wasn't my fault that didn't work. <laughs> There's no initiative. Uh-huh. Yeah, not my responsibility, and Atlas Shrugged, yes. <coughs> Anne Rand wrote yeah. that book. Brilliant, yes. The word is want to work. You said one shouldn't ever use it. But I'm wondering if there is a place for it for to save time so that one can come up with a better plan, with something more efficient. Okay, that's exactly right. So, a person might come up with something, you might say, well, when we did that in this and this way, it didn't work. That's factual. Saying something that's, but what about this and the other, or have you considered the possibility? Wouldn't it be better if we did that's all more constructive? That doesn't mean you have to accept the plan, but just saying these are lazy responses like that won't work, it's impossible. You know, those are, are demotivational statements, or you overthink this, that, that is basically putting down someone else's attempts or suggestions. There's a better way to respond, and maybe what they're suggesting won't work. Uh, but there's better response, is, is what this person is saying to it, because it's a lazy comment, just saying that won't work. Maybe one should give a reason why it won't work, like, well, yes, I, I, I mean, the amount of things I've heard that people said we should do, for example, promoting life change. We should have billboards all over the freeways leading to Cape Town. Well, that's a good idea. Uh, we looked into it, the cost of the billboards is uh, X amount, uh, we don't have the funds. We found it cheaper to re- rent a trailer and have the trailer driven on. So a person may come up with an idea which is a, unfortunately we don't have the money for that. Now, a person might say, but what if we did these things to raise the money for that? And so there's just a better response than just a put down of that won't work. We're not saying that you have to accept the person's suggestion. I think it's very helpful to just point out that sometimes we, we've been pre-programmed to come up with some very lazy comments such as, would you like some tea? No, I'm good. What's I'm good got to do with whether you want tea or not? Uh, and how are you? I'm good. We're not asking are you good, you're asking how are you? Uh, you know, it should be better to say I'm well or I'm sick or whatever. Well, I remember regularly people ask, Shaw, how are you? So, terrible. Uh, and, uh, oh, Occasionally get people honest, and <laughs> uh, but he would often do. I mean, more often than not, in terrible, having a horrible day, uh, um, yeah. hate dealing with the government uh, bureaucrats. <laughs> so, and uh, well, you know that's honest. But the average person, good, and it's it's a bit like we've been pre-programmed to lie, sadly, or give some meaningless comments, such as you can go into a church and shout out things and get people to respond but it's absolutely meaningless like we serve a good God well who's suggesting we don't and God is good all the time all the time God is good we're living in the last days and I mean these are phrases that you, it's, it's cheap, easy uh, bound to catch a few amens but what is it communicating uh, it's, there's some lazy terms that we just throw around that are not that helpful the psalmist has got so many wonderful phrases. That's why I think if you're standing up, instead of just stop starting and saying, Hi, how's everyone? Why not just start with the psalm? It's so much more meaningful than, than just some meaningless American chatter. Sorry to pick on Americans, but they have kind of sh- shared their uh, culture or lack of it with the whole world through Hollywood. And now televangelists, and I'm afraid a lot of us have picked up some bad habits. Any other comments? Work ethic? Things we should never say? Can you think of other phrases that we shouldn't say that weren't on this list? Things that sort of irk you? Catchphrases like um, they used to use the words in many industries. We're all going to be on the same page. Some of them are just in A. Yeah. Yes, in fact, here's one classic. Are you with me? 
What does that mean? You know, are you with me? I mean, we're in the same room. Um, uh, does he mean, are you in full agreement with everything he's saying? Not mindless comments like that, that's for sure. But there's, there's a whole lot of, uh, instead of meaningful engagement, asking something like, when last did God speak to you? What did he say? Did you obey? Yeah, I mean, that's shows your thinking. But something like, are you with me, is, uh, what on earth is that meant to mean? And what are people going to say? No. Um, in fact, I'd like to say that sometimes. That's really shame. But that would, dis- that would uh, distract the poor soul who's trying to get things going. What would you say, so, since it's our tribe, what if you genuinely don't know if you can do what is possible? So, maybe one could say, a person saying, you know, could you program a computer saying, well, I've got no computer knowledge experience. How do you think I can help? Maybe I can uh, clean the screens, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, so, the, the point just is that I'll try is a bit of a... It's a bit of a cop-out. It means... It might even mean I have no intention of even trying. Because I'll try is a bit of a cop-out. So, it's not to say that a person asks you... If you've read God Smuggler, Brother Andrew uh, was told by an officer, this is when he was in the Dutch army in, in Dutch East Indies in Indonesia, he was told to drive the Bren carrier. Yeah. Told him to get in the Bren carrier and drive. Now, Brother Andrew had no driver's license. He had never driven anything bigger than a bicycle. He gets in the Bren carrier, looks around, engages toggles and goes careening off and smashes into a whole lot of other vehicles. And, I mean, he just obeyed the officer. The officer should have found out if he knew how to drive. <laughs> Uh, as he said, that, um, he, he didn't even tell me to stop. Um, didn't know if I knew how to stop. That's correct. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, on that occasion, it might have been wise to say, Sir, I've never driven a vehicle before. That, that might have been very helpful information to give, but he's so pre programmed to obey what the officer told. I mean, he literally caused damage to a whole lot of property by uh, getting in and trying. That's a case where it would have been better if he didn't try. Yeah, it's nice when we got some, an honest author like Brother Andrew. He had some very funny things in there. Yes, um, <clears throat> it just is that sometimes we need a, a more meaningful uh, communication back to person. And there's a whole lot of things that we've been pre-programmed to throw out that just don't communicate much. So you just think how much of our terminology is meaningless. Like, um, if you can just... Uh, uh, get rid of those things uh, if you can well how about distribute the literature or um, you know I remember people come back saying uh, I got rid of the post what do you mean you got rid of the post you put it in a dustbin um, you mean to post it in the post box you're not meant to get rid of it and uh, there's all kinds of bizarre terminology that people use it that's absolutely meaningless like you know uh, they use vague terms and we've got everything from the thingamabob the dingus the whatchamacallit well, what's that going to communicate and also got I had an English teacher said never use got there's always a better word than got I acquired I produced uh, I resourced I downloaded but got is it's not communicating very well you've got to find words that, that, that communicate what's got to be done so I mean this is one of the lovely things about Afrikaans, for example. They've got agendas and terms. So, so a person could come and say, I was with a friend. And we'd say, friend or friendin? Uh, now, immediately you know, because in English you could say friend, which is gender neutral. But in Afrikaans it's friend or friendin. Male friend or female friend. You know, that's immediately telling you. German's the same. It's got very specific gender. You can't evade out to some bland comment. I was with a friend. And... Uh, 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 so you just turn the screws with another language and you've nailed the person down. Um, again, some people use language to communicate, others use it to conceal. Politicians use language to conceal. They, they try not to communicate anything. They talk and talk and talk and it doesn't make you any the wiser about the subject at the end of it. So like one of Ramaphosa's speeches. So how free would you be Yes. Okay, that's again, yes, Minister. Or yes, Prime Minister. Uh, right, we're not meant to communicate anything. So, other comments, observations? Any other 
terms that you have people using that you wish they would avoid take out of the vocabulary like like what's the time well it's like so it's not uh, you know you have uh, whatever it is well she's like a girl what do you mean she's like a girl she isn't actually a girl she's just like a girl um, and we use the word like everywhere just like just is thrown to all these prayers mm, and our reports basically it doesn't mean anything at this point in time, at this point or at this time, or both terms, at this point in time, what, what, what does that mean? I think that makes sense, especially for like accounting and any kind of, you have to speak about a subject at a point in time, especially when you're talking about the time. But you could say at this point or at this time, but at this point in time is what they call redundant speech. You've got two terms that say the same thing. But if you're talking about the time period, a point in time means like the time might be the whole year, then a point in time is like mm-hmm. a day. That's but, time. but at this point, or at this time, is both adequate. Yeah. We, we've, got, we've got quite a bit of redundant speech. Yeah. Uh, and for example, you get these people who especially say, well, to tell you the truth, or, uh, well, honestly, or isn't our yes meant to be yes and no meant to be no? Uh, but this, this idea that you've got to... Uh, well, to tell you the truth, which is just I've been lying all the time up to now, and now, you know, on this point, I'm now telling you the truth. Maybe they mean they're being brutal, they'll be brutally honest, and they're reporting it. So you can say, to be brutally frank, <laughs> I disagree with everything you've just said. I mean, I mean that, that, that's, that's one way of saying, but to be honest, I don't know, is that really helpful? I would just expect a person saying something, you assume it is the truth. Right. When a person says, to tell you the truth, you start assuming that he's lying. Uh, I don't know, I, I, I find it's a real negative when a person says, to tell you the truth. Because you assume that's what you're meant to be doing. Just like saying, well, to lie to you, let me say. <laughs> no, I shouldn't do it. <laughs> um, so it just seems a bit weird, isn't it? There's a lot of wasted words, and I know that because one of the things I had to do at school was praises. We had to take a big paragraph and turn it to a small paragraph or big passage. And to be honest, that's a lot of what you do through your life. They've got the word, to be honest. You just throw that around. How many times I've got to take somebody's long something, and you look, ah, there's about a paragraph worth lifting there to put in the newsletter. Or, and at Joy Magazine, when I was doing editing for them, oh, my goodness, me. You could take most of this as waffle, 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 meaningless, mindless, blatant heresy. I mean, I, I wrote about across somebody's two-page spread, um, mindless heresy. <laughs> and there, was, there was nothing redeemable in the entire thing. Not even a scripture, because there wasn't a scripture. I could have at least kept that in. But there, there's sometimes when you just see some of the people have waffled, waffled, waffled. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, reading. But... Sometimes I could put down things. You look at it and say, I don't have that much space in the newsletter. I've got to cut it down. And so you take out all unnecessary words and it can surprise you when you go through that exercise how much we say that's redundant. So, for example, a funny thing happened to me on the way here. I was thinking, and I was wondering what I should say today. So as I was thinking and considering this, I, I thought, this is really important. What I want to say to you today is, is important because... Uh, I believe we all need to know this. And so, you know, firstly, and like, get on with it. I mean, you just want to throttle a person or kick him off the stage. And then, and finally, and lastly, and conclusion. And then just that. Oh, and one more thing. Oh, and then I was just re- and like, is there a lever that can suddenly make the platform disappear? And, uh, but I mean, public speakers. And it's not. You don't just find these public speakers in some small meetings. I've been to some of the biggest conferences with thousands of ministers at the conference. And you have these people waffle, 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 mindless garbage and anecdotal things that mean nothing to anybody. You're thinking, what on earth are you doing? I said an international conference where there were 
maybe 12 or 14 language groups having things translated to with headphones and so on. And this chap starts a long-winded, dragged out, you can't believe how long-winded it is, which cannot possibly be understood by anyone except in English. It's, he's playing on alliteration or on particular turns of phrase that will only work in English. What the poor interpreters into Romanian, Russian, and Ukrainian were meant to be doing, who knows? And then just stupid jokes that there's no way another language can even comprehend what they say. What is a person like that doing speaking to an international conference? Did he not think there's different language groups there? How on earth are they even meant to understand this? You come across speakers like there's this American speaker in Sudan. Life doesn't just consist of your SUVs and your CDs. What, what's, a, what's a Sudanese meant to know about an SUV? I didn't even know what an SUV was at that stage. Um, suburban vehicle. But, um, but a CD, some people think like compact disc, no, I'm sure he's talking about certificates of deposit. But, uh, but there's no way that any poor interpreter could understand what this person is saying and what the people on the other side listening to the translation into Zandi or something, what they were thinking. Um, and now you've got this Baptist who's structures and ties firmly with alliteration. How's alliteration going to work in Bari? So, you know, it's an English alliteration. And so there's no end of this has the speaker not consider what is going to come out at the other side? How those people there meant to understand this? Uh, but I think a lot of us are not often thinking about the content of the people we're trying to communicate with. We, we need to communicate well enough that the other person can understand what, what we mean. So sometimes we can say something, and that's why it's also super important to say, I don't understand. Uh, what do you mean by? Because some people can think they've communicated something and you don't understand, but if you just nod and, and so on, they'll assume you understood, then they can get angry at you because you didn't do what they said or what they thought you'd agree to do, but you didn't even understand. So it may sound a little rude, but I mean, I've frequently got to say to somebody, I I'm sorry, I don't understand. Or can you repeat that? If you don't understand what the person said, it's better to say so. Yes. Otherwise, a lot of anger and frustration can come uh, because they now think you understood. You know, you don't even have a concept. And that's very likely each generation's got different slang and terminology that they use, which you may understand it. That doesn't mean no one else understands it. Um, so, um, do you know what a cadenza is? In Rhodesia, it's just common terms. Don't have a cadenza. Now, cadenza is actually a very high-pitched... Um, states in, in operas, is it? It's, it's, a, it's a singing term. And so in Rhodesia we've got in terms of don't get a cadenza, but a, or you know, she is having a cadenza, which I don't know how many people understand that, but that's, that's just, that was a particular group of people in a particular area at a particular time communicate like that. Uh, you know, um, there was a mobile handbag there. Do you know what a mobile handbag is? Crocodile. Mobile handbag was what we called crocodiles in Rhodesia. Another term for crocodiles was flat dog. So Rhodesians would talk about a flat dog. Like, uh, watch out, there's a flat dog over there. Average person, what's a... No, but we didn't talk like that. We spoke yeah. about a flat dog. And so we never used the word crocodile. They were all flat dogs and mobile handbags. So, you, you know, imagine there's some poor foreign tourist saying, by the way, there's a flat dog over there. About dies in the river. And, uh, uh, what, he doesn't even understand what she said. But we've got these... We've got these terms, which only a small group of people are going to grasp. And of course, in Christianese, we can throw out all sorts of things. Now, I've just been dealing with uh, lawyers and accountants, and they're throwing out, you know, MOIs and what have you. And you're like, what on Do you know what an MOI is? Memorandum of Incorporation. Memorandum of Incorporation. Exactly. So, but. But uh, in legalese and Christianese, we can throw out terms all over the place. And it doesn't mean the poor people we're talking to understand what we're talking about. But you talk to a person who's, you know, whether they're a technician, they throw a gobbledygook techno babble at you. And how am I even meant to understand? Uh, this used to frustrate no end of me that you meet these computer geeks who want to throw all the techno babble they know at you. And you don't even understand 10% of what they're talking about. And they just happily and burdening on you, everything they know about uh, techno-geek terminology, and you're just like, 
you, you're lost. You, there's no way you can follow them. And uh, they, they happily talk about what they enjoy the most, and you haven't the foggiest clue where he's even going with us, or what it's got to do with you, considering you don't even understand this terminology. But uh, yes, anyway, anything else? I think in Britain there's a movement or an organisation called the Plain English Campaign, which is designed to try and bring this communication of all this jargon and, yeah. and slang. Yeah. Oh, what a brilliant move! Yeah, yeah. yeah they've got a very good publication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Japanese is supposed to be there for specific, especially for specific professions. Yeah. There's words that other people will never understand, no matter what. Yes. I guess that's when you just explain your words before you start talking. Yeah, there is specific jargon, but when you talk about the kind of communication that's particularly prevalent in business, you know, where they try and make themselves make it sound better than, than it really is. That's the point of studying business, isn't it? <laughs> but then you've got to know if you're talking within your own group of people who understand, those keywords might make it possible to communicate a lot more in a shorter space of time and you understand one another, and that's fine. But again, the military's got their own terminology. Uh, medical people and. Uh, <laughs> Boy, do they have their terminology? Um, uh, paramedics do, fire brigade, and it's fine in the, your field, but the moment you're speaking outside the group, you've got to change your terminology so that others can grasp what you're saying. I used to write out from the army and no one knew what I was saying. And you go home and explain what that little was. I mean, Nate, when she came in, she said that half of what you were speaking about during the meeting, she didn't understand what it was. Uh. And then only later, like when you spoke about RevSoft or whatever it was, she's like, what are they talking about? Yeah. You just had to learn. So, you, you know what um, uh, a PB and an LP and OP is? PB is still a No. <laughs> good, good. Okay, in army, plus local befolking. Plus local befolking means uh, local population. So there was a PB near the OP. OP? Observation post. And uh, uh, we had a TB. What's a TB? Not Turkey Bay No, a temporary base. Uh, and then, um, uh, then we saw a CT. What's a CT? Communist terrorist. Which in, in, in phonetic speech is Charlie Tango, which is why after a while they start to call them in Vietnam Charlies. C T Charlie Tango for phonetic speech and radio. So after a while, a, a communist terrorist or Vietnamese uh, Viet Cong terrorist was a Charlie. And, and so it gets so that after a while you're so far removed that unless a person understands where this came from, what on earth are they talking about? And, and how? And of course we've got our own. You know, imagine somebody coming here, you know, uh, KSB and WMP and uh, uh, all of this we're throwing at uh, ACA, CLB, LWA and so on and like. Exactly. I mean, you know, what, what, what is some poor soul meant to understand if, if this is the first time they've come across it? Americans love Well, as we speak about the alphabet soup organizations, because America's filled with the alphabet soup, you know, CIA and NSA and what have you, and you just throw all these terminologies around and. Uh, fine, but uh, yeah, anyway, we, we've got to inside terms and jokes and communication. Yeah. The key thing is we've got to communicate. And the more clearly we communicate, the better people know. And to be specific, it's irritating when a person gives a report back and it doesn't communicate. So often, what's the five W's and H's that you need? Who, what, where, when, why, how? Five W's and H's. Any good journalism, any good radio recording, any report, it's not, you know, so guys, uh, we've got a thing coming up uh, 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 the other day, and just, okay, who, what, where, when, why. I, I think to try and wage war against slang, specifically when it comes to communicating the gospel and communicating in good reports, so people know what, I don't feel comfortable with people referring to guys and gals. I mean, there's men and there's women or there's boys and there's girls, there's males and females, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, guys and gals, where does that come from? And there's a lot of other terminology that just, it doesn't actually help. And, but to be specific, what you're talking about and where we're talking about, and again, just, you know, oh, you know, raised distributing stuff, or getting rid of stuff. <laughs> distributing <laughs> literature, but was it Bibles? 
Bible surveys, gospels, Sunday school materials, tracts, booklets, theological books. I mean, it's, there's categories, it's specific. Just, you know, they got rid of a lot of stuff. Um, what does that communicate? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, uh, and people can talk about guys, and that refers to men and women too. I mean, you even have a person standing up in front of a woman's group who were, you know, guys. And do you know who Guy is? He was, yes, he's the one who tried to blow up the British Parliament. And they have Guy Fawkes, 1605. And remember, remember the 5th of November. That's the thing. Well, he's the original Guy. His name was Guy. That's right. And so they burn effigies of him in bonfires. And I don't know that we want to be associated with a Catholic arsonist. Um, personally. So, you know, do you want to be one of the guys? One of the Catholic arsonists? Uh, anyway, there's just a lot of terms. I think if we think more critically, we can refine our language. But the, the important thing is not so much about the technical part of the language, but is what I'm saying constructive, helpful, encouraging, inspiring, solution-focused, or is it just some kind of meaningless, are you with me? What was that prayer that prophet prayed? Oh, <laughs> uh, the, I said the worst prayer that I've ever heard of the GCC. Lord we've got one more lecture to go <laughs> help keep us awake <laughs> that's going to be the most horrible prayer ever heard in any great I, but it was the last day a bit late for me to give him a backpack of uh, rocks or something but a prayer like that deserves a backpack of rocks um, for PT and for the mountain. Aye, aye, aye. That means... Uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, it, uh, that is just one of the funniest presentations. This uh, is like, what? Oh, I'm so Yeah, no, but I mean, this, this thing, not like anyone was against him, but yeah. it really was funny. Yeah. It, it, it asked for it. Anyway, he got a lot of bruises, um, uh, especially from painful. How many did you get? I, I forgot one. I got a couple. I would imagine. Beautiful view. <laughs> friendly fires. Friendly fires, not that friendly. Yeah, he moved so fast, he's amongst the enemy, and I, I assumed he's on the other side, and I just hadn't noticed when he's dashed up there. So, you know, one moment I'm firing at the enemy, they're firing at me. Next minute, I think, ah, I'm getting there, and uh-oh, he's on my side. <laughs> Friendly fire. Sad. Very sad. Um, there, there we were able to be acting all American, even shooting our own side. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Who would like to close in prayer? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the way it enlightens us. It gives us understanding into ourselves and our ways of thinking. Uh, we pray we'll take away now the lessons that we've learned today. Amen.